Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. And if you'd like to get deeper into Strange Planet, you might want to consider becoming a premium subscriber. Just click on the link in the episode notes, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. You gain access to commercial-free listening, bonus episodes, and you get a subscription to my monthly newsletter, inner sanctum there are three monthly programs or tiers to choose from choose the one that's right for you strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm 
All right, on this episode, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to talk about Zechariah Sitchin and the ancient alien theory, the Luciferian myth. We're also going to talk about the nature of consciousness. And my guest is known artistically as Esoteric Eddie. He's an independent researcher, author, content creator with over 10 years of experience in the occult, esoteric, and conspiratorial field. He's written three books and published many documentaries on his YouTube channel, Esoteric Eddie TV. And aside from this, he's a multifaceted artist and business owner. Esoteric Eddie, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm doing all right. Good to be here. Good to have you. So for the duration, should I refer to you as Eddie, Ed, Esoteric? What would, would you like? Uh, Eddie's fine. Eddie's yeah. fine. Okay. You've really just started writing and producing a lot of the content in this field in the last couple of years, right? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I've been working under the brand name Esoteric Eddie for the past two years. And so the past two years, I've produced three books, um, a lot of documentaries on my YouTube channel, and just um, a, a lot of pieces of content, smaller pieces of content stretched across all my different social media platforms. Prior to this brand, though, I've, I've done a lot of things as an artist and as a person similar to this. Let's start with your origin story and how you started down this path of the esoteric and the occult and all of that. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, so I was born and raised here in San Diego uh, for the first 25 years of my life before I bounced around the past four years. And my entire life has revolved around these subjects. Um, as far back as I can remember, I was interested in the deeper mysteries of life uh, and it all started with the religious aspect first. I grew up in a Christian and Catholic home. And one of the first memories I have uh, was walking is walking into the daycare at church and seeing this huge portrait or what seemed huge to me as a kid of Jesus just towering over us. And so and I must have been like, I don't know, like four or five. And so ever since I was young, I had like this fascination and uh, just, just interest, curiosity into who Jesus was, what the Bible was really about. And from that point forward, I've had so many strange experiences um, in life and in, in my personal life and mind. Another example would be when my grandpa told me that he saw a UFO when I was about eight years old. And that was strange to me because, again, I grew up in a, in a religious family and my grandpa used to be a pastor and so when he told me that he saw a ufo that shocked me i didn't i didn't think i knew anybody that had seen one and so i asked him what that made him think about god at that point in his life and he simply told me that he didn't know that he was questioning god at that point and so that shocked me a lot as a young person and um that those are just two instances all throughout my life of many just ex introspective experiences that I've had that have led me down this path. But more specifically, I started reading and researching a lot of this stuff was about 14 years old. That was around the time that I, that I first started reading the works of Zechariah Sitchin, which answered a lot of the questions that I had as, as a young person who grew up in a religious family. Is he still with us, your grandfather? He is. Where where is he now? And is planning on sitting down with him uh, soon and filming him tell the story, 
while he's still around. He's still around amazingly. Yeah, for those who haven't heard the story before, the, the way the story actually goes was was I was watching my grandpa smoke a cigarette out out um uh, out there while we were at a family party and he he's we've always had this running joke in the family like oh there's grandpa smoking a cigarette because he he's always sneaking off to go smoke a cigarette and look up at the sky and so when i was a kid i went to go ask him like hey grandpa why are you always looking at the sky and i thought he was going to give me some answer about love or some you know think about some lost love or something and he just proceeds to tell me that he was always looking at the sky because he'd seen a ufo and he was perplexed by it and kind of wondering if he was ever going to see one again and so that that was not that was an answer i did not think i was going to get uh, but yeah he's still around 75 and still smoking cigarettes crazy enough so that sighting shook his faith yeah for a time being I, apparently I, I haven't asked him i mean he's he's always he's always he still believes in god now him and my grandma and that side of the family are heavily uh, christian centered but for a time being i think it just really had him thinking about life in general on a on a deeper level sure i think if anyone who would see a um, a craft or something like that of unknown origin we would it would it would change the trajectory of your life i mean it should anyway how could it not have you ever seen one i've seen strange stuff in the sky but nothing that i would feel comfortable saying was a straight up ufo but i have seen strange stuff i've seen with people too actually a couple of me and a couple of my buddies we used to meet up late at night for that reason we would um go to these dark areas and just kind of hang out and just look up and just wait for stuff to happen and, and we've seen like flashes like really strange flashes in the sky we've seen that multiple times we've seen stuff that resembles satellites but could maybe not be satellites um just strange stuff like that yeah you mentioned by the time you were 13 you started reading zechariah sitchin i spoke with sitchin maybe a few years before he died i think he died around 2010. anyone who listens to this podcast is probably familiar with sitchin he wrote a number of books basically trying to explain human origins that involved this extraterrestrial race, the Anunnaki. Just kind of fill in the blanks there, though, and how Sitchin's understanding of these Sumerian cuneiforms and, and their the Sumerian origin legends overlaps or dovetails with the Christian Bible. Yeah, sure. So the fascinating thing about Sitchin's work for me is that he was able to look at all the different major cultures around the world and their religious and mythological texts and weave a central story and that central story um, centered around the mythological tales belonging to the sumerians who are basically the first civilization uh, within the modern timeline that we're living in right before babylon yeah modern day iraq yeah 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 so they were the first within the modern timeline that we are living in, which is the 7,000 years or so that we've been a part of. And um, so Sitchin, he didn't touch on the new too much. He did in his last book, The End of Days. Um, but most of it has to do with the correlation with the Old Testament. Genesis. So to him, Genesis, yeah. So to him, when the Old Testament is speaking about other gods and these Elohim 
beings and, and the, the sons of gods mating with the daughters of men, all of that stuff referring to the stories of the Anunnaki, who were the gods of the Sumerians, and also some of the later cultures like the Babylonians and Assyrians and Akkadians. And that made a lot of sense to me. And once you've researched it long enough, or at least studied it long enough, it starts to become very obvious. And that's probably one of the uh, main things that I've researched throughout my uh, independent amateur career. And it's what a lot of people come to me for. But it's now for me, it's just so obvious. And now that I've been doing a lot of the work as Esoteric Eddie and putting this content out, a lot of Christians and theologians have come after me. And for that reason, you know, because they they think that uh, I'm, a I'm a heretic or that I'm incorrect in, in my conclusions. But I don't know. To me, it's just so obvious. It's so obvious that the Abrahamic faiths have precedent in the Sumerian tales. So the Anunnaki came from this planet Nibiru. Yeah, so there's, there are a lot of things that I don't agree with when it comes to Sitchin's work. And one of them is the the Nibiru Planet X theory. And that's fine, you know, because a lot of this stuff, it's hard to, to come to a conclusion. You know, we have to look at what data we have, what facts we have, and kind of speculate. So a lot of what he was doing was speculating because that's all he could do. And so he speculated that these Anunnaki beings came here from another planet, which he called Nibiru or Planet X. Now, um, if you haven't read his books, you know, you won't understand how he came to that conclusion. But I have read the entire uh, series of the Earth Chronicles. And so I, I understand how he came to that conclusion. He came to that conclusion by analyzing a, a lot of different cultures, a lot of their religious and mythological texts, and realized that they were always referring to or frequently referring to the stars and, and the planets and uh, and these these types of things so he basically theorized and speculated that they must have come from some different distant place otherwise why were they always looking up to the sky why were they always looking up to different certain constellations and the reason why another reason why i don't agree with him on the on the nibiru thing is because i know that he got the term or he got the, the name nibiru the term whatever from a specific place in a, in the Sumerian tales. As far as I know, there's only about one place that that word Nibiru is found, and it's found in the Enuma Elish, which is the Nibiru in the Enuma Elish. And the Enuma Elish is the cosmological tale belonging to the Sumerians, how the universe was formed. And that word is found towards the end of the story after the protagonist has already slain the antagonist. And the protagonist is being uh, venerated by the gods by being bestowed 50 different names. And one of the names that the god is given is Nibiru. And I'm paraphrasing this here, but they say you are like Nibiru, uh, the shiny star in the sky, who was a shepherd to the other gods. So this was another instance in which Sitchin was reading this and coupling it with a lot of other mentions of stars and planets and constellations from different cultures and saying to himself, well, maybe these people come from some different planet or come from some different star. Mm. And so 
I don't say I'm not saying he's wrong. He could be correct. But I'm just for myself as, as a researcher myself, I'm not coming to that conclusion. I didn't come to that conclusion. Right. I can't come to that conclusion because I don't have a definitive text basically saying that, yes, we came from a different planet. But do you agree that they were of extraterrestrial origin? I can agree to that. Yeah. What I what I do say in my book and, and the documentary version, which is free on my YouTube channel, is that at the very least, they are not human. Because by definition, we are human. What a human being is, according to the ancestral text, is a mixture of the Anunnaki beings and some other humanoid being, right? Because even the Bible, well, the Bible says that we are made from clay or whatever, and we can get into that conversation. But the Sumerian texts tell us on at least two to three separate occasions that human beings were created um, through an admixture of what they called clay and the blood of the gods. So by definition, a human is what we are. So these Anunnaki beings were not human. They were a purebred of, of whatever humanoid type being they came from. Right, right. And um, if I'm remembering correctly, they took a primitive hominid here on Earth, did some genetic experiment to create modern man. Yeah, the Adamu, as Sitchin called it. The Adamu. And this experiment was done behind was sort of the chief Anunnaki's back? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, so this, the, the Sumerian texts don't actually say that they got some hominid and mixed it. That was Sitchin's speculation. Mm -hmm. the, the texts actually, the texts just simply say that they took clay and the, the blood of the gods, put it together and created us. Um, but you're correct. So the one of the main gods, one of the, the main Anunnaki gods, Enlil, mm -hmm. was displeased with us, and uh, we're told in their flood story, which again is is obvious evidence that there's precedent um, in their mythologies to the Abrahamic mythologies. Uh, we are told that Enlil was displeased with us and wanted to wipe us off the earth with the flood. Um, mostly because we were just annoying. We we're told that we were just an annoying to him, and we were making too much noise. Uh, but it could also that that verse could also be uh, interpreted as he was annoyed with the fact that we were reproducing too quickly. So the noise that we were making was the noise of of love making, and so we were reproducing too quickly, and that might have scared them too, because at that point now they were becoming the minority, and we were becoming the majority. So the Genesis story is in effect then the Sumerian origin story, except instead of God creating the earth in six days and creating Adam and Eve, this was the creation of the Anunnaki. Yes, exactly. And the flood story is kind of the key to, to this whole theory, the key to understanding this and seeing it clearly, because theologians and ac academicians can both agree that the the Old Testament's flood story was based on the flood story of the Sumerians. And when we read the Old Testament's version, it's one God who is capricious. He wants to kill mankind, but he wants to save mankind. And then when we read the Sumerian version, we understand why there's that, that hesitancy. Because in the Sumerian version, there's two gods, Enlil and Enki. And so if theologians and academicians can agree 
that the flood story was borrowed from the Sumerian story, then they should be able to understand that a lot of the other aspects of the Bible, at least the early part of it, was also borrowing from the Sumerian tales. And so when we, when we understand that key, it all becomes very clear. Because again, in the Sumerian story uh, of the creation of humans, we are told that it was done through uh, a group of beings known as the Anunnaki, right? And they created us through an admixture of clay and their blood. And they created us so that we could be their servants, so that we could work for them. That is clearly stated. And so the Bible reflects that in Genesis 1.26, when we are told plainly in English that, that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And there is plurality there for good reason. A lot of theologians and even academicians will try to run around this explanation. But the reason there's plurality there is because the word that was used was not God, but Elohim, which means the powerful ones. So when we read this with that word properly uh, translated, we now, we're now reading that the powerful ones made man in their image after their likeness. And how did they do it? They formed Adam out of the dirt, the ground, clay, in his own image. And what does that mean? Image, how do you make somebody in your image? That's DNA, right? DNA, blood, your lineage. And so the writers of the Old Testament were simply repeating the story that they had already heard that was given to them by their ancestors, the Sumerians, uh, Syrians, Akkadians, Babylonians. And so uh, Christians, you know, hundreds of hundreds of years later, lost that cultural connection that the early writers of the Old Testament had. We don't have that cultural context. We don't understand how important the Sumerian mythologies actually were to the ancient world. In Babylon, for example, every single year, the Sumerian Enuma Elish story was reenacted at their New Year festival. These stories were very important, and it's obvious to me as it was to Sitchin, that these Sumerian stories of the Anunnaki were simply redesigned and retold and simplified in the Old Testament. Um, it's been suggested that Sitchin mistranslated the, the cuneiform tablet. And if he did, is it possible that he got everything wrong? Well, that's kind of an incorrect thing to say because he didn't translate anything. Hmm. He didn't know how to, to read Sumerian or any works that have already been translated, that were already translated. So in my book, The Anunnaki Theorem and the documentary version, there's a section where I break down how we discovered Sumer to begin with, how we rediscovered Sumer, and what the translation process was like. And we rediscovered Sumer in the mid-1800s, and there was a race to translate these texts. And there was about three men uh, originally who helped in breaking the code and I can't get too deep in it right now because right. I don't know the exact details, but it's all there in the book and the documentary. But that was a fascinating piece of history for us to, to rediscover it, break the code and start translating these texts. And so um, Sitchin didn't translate anything. He just interpreted certain things and speculated those interpretations, speculated on those interpretations. And just coming back to Elohim, couple of schools of thought, well, there's three at least. 
One is that in Hebrew, Elohim, it is the masculine plural form in the Old Testament, but it's also, it can be used to indicate singular, but it's also often as an honorific title. So it's expressing the plural of majesty. Is that possible that that's what, what's happening there with Elohim? It's not plural, it's an honorific title. Yeah, no, that is that, that is true. That is correct. There are parts throughout the Old Testament where Elohim is used in a singular context. But this, the important thing, the significant thing is that when man was being made, it's obvious that it was being used in a plural context. That's the most significant thing. The other singular aspects aren't, they're, they're inconsequential. The most important thing is that when we were being created, it was obvious that we were being created by a group of beings because of the plural words and the plural context, you know, in our likeness, after our image. Right. So that that's what's important to me in Sitchin. Okay, then the other argument is that the plural of Elohim, as in we, referred to as God and his divine counsel. In other words, there were angels, there were seraphim, there were other other entities we may not even be aware of that his divine counsel is what is being referred to as the we yeah and that that's an argument that has uh been made against my my work a few times but the funny thing about that argument is that the whole idea so the divine counsel is something that you won't really find in the old testament it's something that commentators and academicians have had to sort of insert into the old testament because of strange instances where canaanite mythology is referenced to for example um in isaiah which i break down well in isaiah which i speak on in my lucifer book the lucifer mystery revealed isaiah says that um lucifer this character lucifer right set up to take over the throne of God and take over uh, the, the congregation of God that sits on the, on the, on the, the North, the, the Mount, the mountain of the North. Right. And so it's all this weird verbiage, right? The throne of God, the mountain of the North and all this stuff. But the word that's used in Hebrew is, is Zaphon, which is the mountain of the North. What he was referring to was a Canaanite mythology because in the Canaanite mythologies, the, the gods of the Canaanite mythology all met on this this mountain of the north right so again it's one of those instances where it's obvious to me that these writers these people these these people of the ancient levant who were descendants of the sumerians and such were referring to the mythologies that they had heard and that for judaism was a thing and so the divine council idea is a funny argument because that entire concept comes from the canaanite mythologies which are based on the anunnaki mythologies you see what theologians do when they argue in that way is they actually put the bible in a narrow-minded perspective because what they're doing is they're is they're uh is they're partaking in like tribalism in a sense because they're saying that their perspective on the bible is the one and only perspective right and there's even in America, there are so many different forms of Christianity. One Christian over here might be calling this one a, a, a fake Christian, vice versa, right? But what when we argue against, when we argue like this, what we're doing is we're like putting the Bible in this narrow-minded perspective of saying, this is the only way to view it, and, you know, and that my God is real and your God is fake or whatever. When the truth is, when the, the truth is, the bigger picture is 
we're all one human family. We're all one human family with a uh, one origin. It's just that the origin story has been told by so many different perspectives and cultures. But it's obvious to me, and and it's obvious in the um, archaeological and anthropological evidence that at the very least, all of these gods in our creation, and that story was slowly uh, changed and retold. And so, um, yeah, to put it simple, the divine council argument basically validates what I'm saying, which is that the Abrahamic faiths are, are based on the Anunnaki mythologies. Esoteric Eddie, we'll take a quick time. I'll come back and uh, continue to discuss uh, Sitchin, the uh, myth of Lucifer, and the nature of consciousness. Stay with us. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we're back with Esoteric Eddie. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying that the Bible has truths in it. We've just, what, misinterpreted it or misunderstood what it all really means. Um, and look, I, I actually have a lot of respect and love for the Bible. You know, I, I grew up in, in a religious home and it's been the center of all the work that I do, you know, and I, I still gain a lot of insight, you know, from it. Uh, but I'm a sort of I'm a sort of an existentialist, so I don't really I don't uh, what's the word adhere to or or yeah I don't really identify with any particular any particular political group, any particular religion or anything. You know I'm just a human at my core, and so I have a unique perspective and a unique ability to be able to pull myself away from the matrixes and dogmas of politics and religion and view everything simply from a natural point of view. And so it's obvious to me that 
the Bible has taken so many people for a ride. It's indoctrinated them in so many ways that it never really even was meant to do. And so um, what I'm saying basically is that Judaism in specific was was founded on the Canaanite mythologies, which were founded on the Sumerian mythologies. And the early Israelites themselves were a branch of Canaanites, privileged to be able to look back on history and and say about it, at whatever, say whatever we want about it, can manipulate it and, and change it to fit our biases and our needs. When the truth is the people who created these things, the people who wrote the Old Testament and went through these things, I had what I had a much more different perspective on their lives and what they were actually trying to achieve with these things. And so, yeah, you're correct, man. We, we've pretty much misunderstood all of this and made a huge mess out of it by being biased and try to manipulate it to fit what we need out of our lives. Well, do you believe in a creator, an, an, an ultimate uh, architect of the universe, a god, for lack of a better word? I do. I do. I believe in a creator. I call it the creator, you know, God for simple. And I always have ever since I was a kid, you know, and uh, when I was younger, that that energy, that thought or whatever was was kind of um, formulated or uh, centered around the Christian perspective. Right. I'm a Christian by default. But as I've aged and I've done my work and had psychedelic experiences and mystical experiences, I've, I've started to break away from just the narrow-minded view of, of, of being a Christian, right? I don't view my life just as a Christian. I don't view God just through the lenses of it simply as is without any human dogma involved. What I like to say is I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God because God is a man-made concept. I don't believe in anything man-made. Because I believe the creator, the true creator, the, the true creator exists and supersedes beyond any human thought concept, any man-made thought concept. How could it not? You know, so to just view the creator through one perspective would be absurd because it actually supersedes anything we could ever conceive it to be. So Sitchin subscribed, and I guess you could almost say he was along with... Bondanikin, the grandfather of the ancient alien theory, which spawned a television series that's been on for a hundred seasons or whatever it is. Are you, <laughs> you subscribe to the ancient alien theory that, that we are, we are the seeds or the genetic manipulation of an, an extraterrestrial race. I do believe that it's possible. And I just, I just don't know if it actually happened the, the way they portrayed it. But in my book, I have demonstrated how it could be possible, right? I try, I try to lead as neutral and unbiased as I can simply as a historian. But what's interesting is we are told right in the oldest text known to us that we were deliberately designed by a race of beings through some sort of strange experiment. And we are also told in archeology span and in anthropology through the evidences that we've dug up from the ground that the homo sapien sapien which is what we are is a fairly new creation our skeletal system is only about a hundred thousand years old and even more interesting is that 
our cognitive status and ability that we have right now is only about 50,000 years old. And so we are very, very new in this grand scheme of life. And, and also coupled with that, we are, we also now know that we've, that we've uh, endured cataclysms recent past there have been these cataclysms that have wiped out other civilizations in our in our recent past and so there there's a lot of lost history a lot of lost um knowledge and civilization and so all with all that being said it's almost as if the bible with the flood story and the story of the the, the sons of god and the sumerian mythologies of the anunnaki are true are correct um detail and recount what we've been through, you know, through a certain perspectives. And so what I'm saying is, is according to the evidences we have, we were fairly, we are a fairly new creation. You know, we were designed by nature or something or whatever and sprouted up not that long ago. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's very possible that, a race of people, humanoid people, known to our ancestors as the Anunnaki, probably at the very least selectively bred or did have some sort of genetic engineering program to create us to be their workers. Do you believe in an unseen world, um, an angelic realm? I believe in an unseen world for sure, for sure. And I've, I've had strange experiences throughout my life that could, uh, I could corroborate it angelic for fun you know sure you know but and i say that because again these terms angels demons if we adhere to them then we're we're again kind of falling into the loop of viewing life through the dogmas that we've created and that's fine because i mean all we can ever really do is try to understand life through the human plight through the human perception to try and understand this to create these mythologies, to create these symbols, to create these mystical mythologies and systems um, as, as systems for us to, to use, to understand ourselves and the life around us. So um, angels, demons, yeah, I think they exist. Um, I just don't view them through that particular mindset or dogma. Because again, I think once we do, it starts to, then we have to start to uh, view other things in that way. And then it perpetuates the, you know, it perpetuates the, the wars, it perpetuates the fighting, you know, your God's fake, my God's real, whatever, whatever. Okay. Well, you strip know? it away, strip away the dogma then. What are angels and demons? Well, um, well, my latest book, The Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion speaks on consciousness. And um, so after, it's funny because I didn't really plan to write my books in this succession but they literally came out of me as i was growing as a person and viewing these things and, and trying to analyze them so my first my first two books were on basically ancient cultures god the devil and politics and stuff like that and so once i kind of started to really understand that and see the facade in that and strip it away then the next thing for me was was to start to look at the mind and consciousness our, our facades based on dogma, even if we strip those away, we're, we're still here. We're still existing. And so we have to do something with that. We have to cope with that and deal with the fact that we're still here. We are existing and we were created by something. And so in my third book, I started to analyze consciousness, the mind, reality, what it all is. 
And um, so to answer your question, what I think angels and demons are, I think at the very least, they are energetic beings, beings of some sort of essence that, that we can't fully understand, that, that live, reside, interact within the quantum realms, within the quantum realms and the different dimensions that exist, which we are now beginning to, to um, discover and corroborate through quantum physics, you know, and even further than that, it's, 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 it's very complex. I, I think that they're not just beings that, that can exist in these other realms and dimensions. I think there's also a subconscious element to this. I think that a lot of what we think are angels and demons are actually our own minds. I think our own minds are, are powerful enough to create archetypes, egregores, within these subconscious, subtle, quantum realms and dimensions, and that these thought forms, like AI, can actually begin. For example, I think when people are seeing shadows at night, right, which I did as a, as a kid, um, I think those shadows, those shadow beings that a lot of us encounter are our own minds projecting outward are our own insecurities and fears that are so powerful inside of our subconscious that they have no other place to go but to be projected outward so that we could deal with them. So I think it's, it's, it's we're barely beginning to understand the quantum realm, the interdimensional realm, the mind and the subconscious mind and how it interacts and interface with all this. So um, heaven and hell, angels and demons, to me, most of all of that is actually just our own minds being projected outward so that we can deal with it. All right, Eddie, we'll take another time out back with more of our conversation right after these. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Esoteric Eddie, independent researcher, author, content creator, over 10 years of experience in the occult, esoteric, and conspiratorial field. He's the author of three books, uh, including, well, his latest book is Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion. And previous to that, he wrote uh, the Anawaki, uh, Anna, Anunnaki, Theorem, Anunnaki Theorem. And the third one is at the Lucifer Mystery Revealed. Yes. Do I have those in the right order? Uh not in the right order of being published, but that's all right. Okay. We were talking about angels, demons, even the paranormal. It's very sort of Carl Jungian, the idea of projecting our consciousness outwards. And so would you subscribe then to the modern day UFO phenomenon as being perhaps a projection of what is that mass consciousness projecting these artifacts out into the world? Yes, correct. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, uh, what I've been thinking lately when it comes to consciousness and life has been influenced by Carl Jung. And I start off my crystal lattice book with a quote from Carl Jung actually having to do with crystal lattices and archetypes. And he wrote a book that changed the way I view life and UFOs um, on UFOs titled uh, 
flying saucers, a modern myth of things seen in the skies. And how did he, sorry, how did he explain it? Like a mass trauma might cause UFO sightings and so forth? Exactly. So he, the way, what he stated in his book was that during the first world wars, that there was such chaos and pressure and stress and fear on the collective subconscious that that energy had nowhere else to go but to be projected forth into our conscious reality so that we could deal with it and that's that's the job of the subconscious mind is it is to bring is to bring things forth so that you can deal with it and that's why when we sleep we have these really weird experiences called dreams. That's our subconscious mind bringing up these symbols and archetypes and things to say, hey, man, this is what you've been trying to figure out lately. Jung said that these UFOs were a result of that, of all of us going through this together. And in the collective subconscious mind, we've always uh, been waiting for some sort of Messiah figure to come from the skies. And we've always uh, deemed the circle as divine or important and one example he gives is the mandala and so these archetypes already in there ready for this moment and so to him ufos are just a projected a projection from our mass subconscious mind but where it gets wild is is where um is what uh jacques valet had to say about it right jacques valet added on to what carl Jung was saying Carl Jung said, okay, this is all coming from a subconscious mind. Cool. But Jacques Vallée, one of the world-renowned UFOologists, took it further and said that, okay, once these things got projected into our reality and kind of snuck away and found a way to, to come here by will almost, they started to become self-aware. And so these things that we call UFOs have become self-aware and have, become, have gained a consciousness of their own. And now... They've been slowly tricking us into believing that they've been here all along and they've been building a mythology of themselves in our minds, creating a feed loop system now. And so we've been giving them more energy, more conscious as they feed themselves back into us. And so it's this strange quantum thing where they didn't exist before. We kind of gave them life and now they've become conscious, self-aware and can only exist through our energy and our consciousness and our belief in them is that the in, in your mind the summation the explanation for the entire ufo phenomenon does this discount well you it can't it, it can't discount the existence of extraterrestrials because they're involved in our origin story so how, yeah, do, so how do we reconcile all this yeah man it just gets more complex and weird you know and uh, i believe there are two types of ufos i think there are real ufos or what we would call ufos which I'll get to in a second here. And I think there are um, UFOs that belong to the government psyops. Right. So I, I do believe there is anti-gravity technology out there and that kind of craziness. But all of that is coming from government psyops that have their own agenda going on. But I believe that the real UFOs that exist apart from human interference are, are not mechanical craft. They're energetic in nature and they might not even be craft per se they might actually be sentient beings themselves and i i started to think this for myself because recently i set out to make a compilation video of ufos just for fun 
And when I set out to do this, I didn't find a single video that was credible of a mechanical craft. Not a single video. If anybody's got one, please email it to me or something. There's not a single video out there of a credit. There are countless videos, hundreds, if not thousands of videos of these energetic orb things. And those things have been around forever. There are accounts going all the way back to the earliest times of these things. And one of the famous examples is the Nuremberg UFO story which was witnessed, I don't know if you're familiar with this one, but there's a, a UFO bit, incident. Yeah. yeah, there's a UFO incident known as the Nuremberg UFO incident or whatever. Check it out. And in that incident, hundreds of people in, in Nuremberg, Germany, saw these orb things floating around in the sky, and they thought that they were fighting each other. They thought it was like some weird war between you know, some sort of en entities, some sort of angelic or demonic entities in the sky, but they describe them as these orbs just fluttering around in the sky. And so th that that those things, I believe, are the real UFOs, but not mechanical craft. They're energetic in nature. They're quantum, they're interdimensional. They're, and they might even just be sentient beings altogether. They might be some sort of being that we don't understand. Explain the title of the book, Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion, based on Jung's analogy of, well, he relates crystal formations to... I guess, reality and consciousness. Explain how that analogy works. Absolutely. So I open my book with a quote from Jung. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm paraphrasing here. And Jung says that the mind and the universe work in the same way that the crystal and the crystallization process work. And the crystallization process works from the microcosm first. So um, the physical crystal you hold in your hand is formulated from uh, microcosmic structures known as lattices. And these lattices are group structures of single particles. So a single particle will group, let's say, with, with three other particles and formulate a cube. And that cube will fractalize and then create the physical crystal you hold in your hand. And Jung was saying that our mind and our reality works in the same way, but the archetypes and the symbols in, in our subconscious mind are the lattices, the particles that the rest of the universe formulates from. And so in, other, in essence, we're living in a sort of simulation because th the universe is, is built off of codes and the codes to Jung were archetypes. And so we, when we're born in the womb, we download a program of archetypes, a program of the womb, and we open our eyes and we receive the light. The light interacts with the program and we start to toggle and interface into this simulation. And so it's, it's a pretty neat yet dense explanation as to this simulation that we live in. And so I start the book off with that simple little quote. And if you understand that quote, you understand the entire book. But for some people, you have to read the entire book to understand the quote. So it works both ways. Right. So, <laughs> so who created the simulation, the creator? Um, yes. I mean, if we live in a simulation that uh, infers a simulator, right? If we've been created, that infers a creator. 
And again, as I said earlier, man, like I believe in the creator, but I'm not going to pretend to to know what or who that is. All I can do is is simply give thanks and praise as much as I can every day to it, because um, in my humble beingness, you know, I would not be here without it. So what is the purpose of us, of us being here? What does the creator want from us? I think ultimately it wants, as silly as it sounds, I think ultimately it just wants to be friends with us. <laughs> and I, I say that kind of in a joking manner, but in order for us to understand what the creator wants from us, all we have to do is observe nature because nature is God's direct expression. Nature operates and lives without the interference of any sentient being. We can manipulate it for sure, but nature, meaning you know everything at the micro and macro level, operates and exists without the interference of any sentient being. And so nature is God's direct expression. It's what it is expecting of us. And so when we observe nature, we can see that God, the creator, expects, expects us to struggle. It expects us to struggle so that we can evolve. So it seems as if everything is evolving towards a certain point for some reason. And I think the reason for this evolving is so that we can eventually get to the point as fully activated spiritual beings to understand and fathom who and what God really is and who and what we really are. You see, as many of the spiritual doctrines have taught us over the decades, we've been led to believe, or let me say this another way, a lot of the spiritual doctrines over the decades have told us that we were sent here from sor some sort of source, that we made some sort of soul contract to be here in this school of earth, our infinite self, to forget our eternal self, to come here and learn or relearn something, right? And I think there's some truth to that. I think that our creator has put us here to slowly get to the point where we can fully fathom it and ourselves and our eternal multidimensional self. Either learn that or for some reason relearn that. It's either one of the two. That might just be the game of it. And um, I use another example to kind of demonstrate that in my book. And the example that I use comes from Kabbalah. Kabbalah being the mystical Judaism. And in Kabbalah, there's a story known as the Shavira, the breaking of the vessels. And in that story, we are told by the mystics that God, the Ein Sof, the unknowable light, created a universe prior to this one. And in that universe, the creator put a part of its essence, a part of its light in all of its creations. But its light was too powerful, and so it destroyed the universe. It blew up the entire universe. And so in the second universe, the one that we're in now, the Ein Sof put a part of itself in everything, but um, withdrew a lot of itself inside all, all of its beings. It committed what is known as simsum, self-limitation. And so to me, that explains why God is seemingly everywhere, but also seemingly nowhere at the same time. He sustained, but not explode. And so to me, it's kind of a beautiful explanation as to what God expects of us. God expects us to eventually one day get to the point where we can fathom it and be with it and also fathom our infinite multidimensional self. But we're just not quite there yet. What happens after we die, after physical death? I believe that 
in order for us to understand what happens after we die, we first have to understand that we are consciousness. We are not this body. We are simply working with this body. And look, the, the body's not evil. The physical world is not evil. Although the Gnostics might have you believe different. I think that the creator gave us this awesome body for a reason, to work with it. But we need to understand that we are consciousness. And the, we need to fortify that that consciousness, what the mystics call self-realization. We need to start to feel that distinction. And so the more we can uh, culminate that distinction and that self-realization, the more we can actually toggle ourselves out of this body, you know, either through astral projection, lucid dreaming, and our self-realization, the better chance we have when we die to transition onto whatever's on the other side consciously so if we don't fortify our minds as the mystics have attempted to teach us then what's going to happen is our consciousness is going to fade and basically be recycled whether that's through some samsara soul trap thing or whether it just gets recycled and faded into nature or whatever i believe one of those two things is going to happen either we will ease into death consciously as we would through sleeping into a dream or we're not going to ease into it consciously and we're going to reach that death point as we also would through sleep into a dream and completely forget who we are and everything we've been through and have to wake up in some strange dream that we think is real forgetting our eternal infinite self once again so reincarnation in other words the hindu wheel of life yeah basically hmm. basically that's I mean that's just a simple way out of i mean i i believe that if we do consciously transition if we can like and we're not all of us are privileged to have an easing death right some for some people it's going to be very sudden but i think even if you have transition consciously but if we if we transition consciously through that and, and maintain our self-identity and self-realization, I think that it's just the beginning of a whole new subset of, of realms and dimensions that we will have to go through. I don't think we go to some heaven or some hell right away. Matter of fact, I don't even really believe in those concepts. Again, those are dogmatic man-made concepts based on real things that do exist in the universe. I believe that heaven or what we would think of as heaven is actually source. And source is is where everything comes from, where everything pours out of. But I don't think we want to go back there. I don't think our, our creator wants us to go back there either. I think going back to source is actually basically deleting ourselves from the pool of consciousness. And I think going back to source, uh, voluntarily going back to source, um, it is basically us saying that we're we're done with it all and, and we're okay with absolving our ego and absolving ourself and, and allowing it to be sacrificed back into source to be redesigned or whatever, reworked to be to allow something else to be born, allow a different soul to be born. So I think when we die, we don't go to some heaven or hell. Those are those are privileges, you know. To go and hang out with, with God or to go and hang out with the devil, just barely gonna be we're gonna be face with the beginning of a whole subset of other dimensions that we have to deal with. 
uh, we didn't um, we didn't get into the uh, Lucifer mystery. Well, maybe we'll save that for the next time. Uh, but in the meantime, how do we um, how do we watch you on YouTube? You can find me on YouTube at Esoteric Eddie TV. And what will we what will we find on your channel? So on my channel, you'll find uh, I have some playlists that I've made. And you'll find full-length documentaries. You can find the documentary versions of all three of my books. And you'll find so you'll find documentaries. You'll find shorter videos. I do presentations too. Um, all kinds of stuff. You know, I post all kinds of videos, long and short, on there. Um, some serious, some a bit comical. You can also find me on uh, Instagram, which I post a lot. That's also my main driving social media platform, which I post almost every day. Um, content sometimes that I won't post on on YouTube. And you can just kind of see like my behind the scenes um, life and other stuff, you know, serious or funny, but I'm on there as esoteric Eddie. Excellent. And the website, of course, esoteric Eddie.com. And we've got all the links in the episode note. Great to meet you. And I hope we can do this again. Absolutely, man. Thank you. I had a great time and thank you to everybody listening. A new Richard Serrett's strange planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 